Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Sawbones. Whoa! Yeah, I'm bringing my Michael Buffer slash Oprah, Oprah Buffer energy to the show today. Well, it's a it's a marital tour, misguided medicine, and uh, I'm your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. And what a delight it is to be back with you. I'm sorry we were absent last week. It was my fault. Sid was at the hospital, and things there are not great at hospitals. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's rough. It's rough out it's there, rough, folks. Bud, yeah. The we're we're busy. Mm. Uh there aren't uh enough people to run hospitals. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We need more of them. Yeah, so if you're and at ours there's a strike, so yeah. Just lots going on. If you ever wanted to be a doctor, there's never been a better time to just start doing that. Come get work a, with me and help get, me. Get help on this me. Entry level doctor. <laughs> Now, I think I think a lot of places across the country are in the same position. Things are really busy. Yeah, um, there's a lot of t- people to take care of, and we're all doing our best. That's so not cut ju- me some slack that I didn't get a podcast out last okay, week is what I'm trying to say. And I was I had other stuff too. I was catching up on Doom Patrol, and we have both been struggling. It's not. That's the same. It's all the same. It's fine. Justin, did you hear about a recent outbreak? <laughs> well, that hey partner, you're gonna have to be a bit more specific than that. Not of COVID. Oh no, something other than COVID. No, there's other stuff. COVID is COVID. very important to talk about, and we do many episodes on that. But this is not about COVID this time. This is about a different illness, one that is a lot more rare, and uh, we usually don't see cases of in the U.S. pretty much at all, and certainly not outbreaks like this. And when we do see cases, it tends to be like tied to people who traveled somewhere else and that's where they got it. So this is all kind of a a weird, rare thing that unfortunately has happened. Um, And that is that we have had an outbreak of cases of meliodosis. 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 I I, I admit, that's not one that I'm I'm familiar with. Every time I saw that word, I always wanted it to be melody something and it's not that. And so it's hard, like... To look at it and make it go from my eyes to my brain to my mouth mm. is always an effort. Are there words like that for you? Uh, mischief. 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 Like, I'm better at it now, but it used to be mischief every time I would uh, try to say it. Um, I also can't spell what restaurant. But other than that, I'm, I always get restaurant wrong. And I also, um, conscience and conscious. Co- and convenience. All those weird, like, what? You looked at me weird like, huh? Convenience? That's an easy one. It does seem like an easy one. 
it's no easier than conscience. But conscious. Conscious, conscience. Oh, okay. Yeah, those two. Anyway. Um, And then people are like, it's con science. And I'm like, but you don't say it that way. It's so... (laughs) Melioidosis is caused by a bacteria that is called Burkholderia pseudomallei. Is that easier to say? Yeah. It's usually seen in tropical or subtropical parts of the world, specifically places like Thailand or northern Australia and and some other places too. But like that's where you see the brunt of these cases. So it is strange to see it arising in the U.S. We don't typically see that here. Uh, How did that happen? Well, before I get into the whole history of it, the reason we're talking about it is that there were these aromatherapy sprays at Walmart. Oh, no. This is this is how this happened. Specifically, there are these Better Homes and Gardens room sprays, which are, like, infused with essential oils. And I believe they say and gemstones on them, which I think is weird just because I don't know how, like, do you grind them up? Gemstones? Yeah. They advertise having gemstones in them? Look at the bottles. I mean... Look at Better Homes and Gardens room spray. I mean, you're going to get a bunch of stuff about melioidosis is All what right. you're going to get. I'll, I'll look into this. Uh, anyway, uh, so these were these were sold at Walmart stores in the U.S. from February to October of this year, s- specific Walmart stores. I guess not all Walmart stores. Yeah, I guess you're going to chase, chase them down on eBay now um, if you want. <laughs> there, uh, there are different flavors, specifically, like they linked it to this lavender and chamomile one, but um, there were five different scents that this was linked to. Um, and you can actually, if you are concerned, if you go to the cdc.gov slash melioidosis um, slash outbreak, you can, it's, they have like the 2021 multi-state outbreak of melioidosis and like where the cases are and they have a list of all the Walmart stores that sold it and what flavors and all that. Mm-hmm. So you can... For the safety reason, please look at that. If you are concerned at all, if you have any of these aromatherapy sprays in your home, please check this. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so they were selling these sprays and they found that specifically in Georgia, Kansas, Minnesota, and Texas, they found cases that were linked to these aromatherapy sprays, which is just, I mean, add it to the list of reasons why... They I ha- personally am against aromatherapy. They have sort of like gemstones at the bottom, if you can imagine. Like it looks like an aquarium. Like aquarium. Are they like floating in the bottom of what? it? Well, they're they've yeah. It's called like uh, imagine like aquarium rocks. Oh, I see. Em. And you can get get kind of the idea. What do you get? Like the power of the gemstones when you spray it? The well, it's it's also less uh, <laughs> it's less aromatherapy juice they have to put in. This rocks is- must be cheaper than the oil. <laughs> This is exactly, I want to, I, this is not just all about aromatherapy. Obviously, we've done episodes on that before. Um, For the most part, unless it's, unless you're talking about like relaxation, it doesn't work. It usually is touted as something that doesn't do harm. Like what's the harm in a nice smell? Even if it's not really helping with anything, what's the harm in a nice smell? Um, Well, other than things we've pointed out before, like asthma or allergies, or for me, I'm allergic to all smells. And Mm -hmm. so like when you smell it in a room, you've made that room in hospitable to me, Sydney. <laughs> Which is the greatest crime I think we can all agree. <laughs> but uh, but also, I guess, occasionally, this is a pretty random, rare thing. Yeah. This kind of thing happens. Um, 
Still not great, though. No. I mean, so it's what, like, yeah. And and I'll get more into it, but I, let's go back to the history of this. What okay, is this? Yes. What is this weird bacteria? Why did this happen? How did this happen? Um, first of all, we need to talk about Dr. Alfred Whitmore. Okay. So he trained at Cambridge and in London. Ooh. And, ooh, very fancy. And he joined the Indian Medical Service um, and was sent to work in Rangoon at a lab at Rangoon General Hospital. Okay. Okay. That is that is where his his part in this narrative starts. Okay. So it's 1911, and he's working in this lab. And a lot of what he does, along with his assistant uh, C. S. Krishnaswamy, the two of them mainly do autopsies. Oh. So and try to figure out like what happened and nice what quiet. yeah and and describe different disease pro- processes and stuff like that. So they are called to do an autopsy on a patient who had died recently for unknown reasons, mm. which, you know, you have to imagine in 1911 wasn't that uncommon. Yeah. Like, we didn't know very much yet. Didn't know anything. <laughs> well, we knew some things. Yeah. Okay, fair. But not a lot of things. So uh, it was a 40-year-old man who had come to the hospital. He had had fevers for, like, seven days prior to coming in, mm-hmm. which is – he got sicker and sicker, finally came in. Um, he was only in the hospital for about three days before he succumbed to the mystery illness. Uh, he also was noted to have some abscesses on his arms. When I say abscess, do you know what I'm talking about, what I'm referencing? You know, you always say it, but I'm, it's hard to picture. The, a lot like of a people, sore, right? Like an open sore? Well, not necessarily open. So a lot of people use the colloquial term a boil when they mean an abscess. Um, it's... I mean, they could be open, but oftentimes it's like the swollen, you know, hot, tender, red pocket of mm-hmm. infection mm-hmm. that is the abscess. Now, once you open it and drain it, you have an open wound there. Um, but abscesses are commonly formed by things like staph bacteria, usually. Um, and until you, what we call IND, incise and drain, incision and drainage procedure, until you actually like cut them open and drain them, they can be very hard to treat. Even now with antibiotics, very treatable, but you do need to open them and drain them. Whereas uh, back then we didn't have antibiotics either. But this patient in particular had a lot of abscesses that they attributed to the fact that he was using injection morphine. So he was addicted to what it was in all the papers they call morphia, hmm. but morphine use. Yeah. So uh, modern day, what we would use, what we would call heroin, basically. This is the precursor drugs. So he came to the hospital. He got sicker and sicker. Nobody knew what to do. And he succumbed to this. So they did this autopsy to try to figure out what happened. What was the cause of death? And they found that there was an infection in his lungs. Mm-hmm. And they were described as having a cheesy appearance. Oh, God. Sorry. Sorry. Ugh. Sorry Where about that. Where's the warning? Caseating, is that better? No. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Except I don't know what it means. Cheesy. So. <sighs> they didn't recognize the pattern as anything that they had seen before, right? Like it wasn't something. They, they had seen tuberculosis. They knew what that did to the lungs. They'd seen a lot of other pneumonias and things. And like it just didn't fit. It didn't look like cancer. They, they didn't know exactly what it was. They did, this was at the point where we knew how to like do certain staining techniques like gram stains to like take bacteria, put them on a slide, look at them under a microscope, try to figure out mm-hmm. what it, what is this. You know, we knew enough at that point to, to look for that. And they found something that looked like 
Bacillus malii, which was a known bacteria that was a germ we already were aware of um, because it was responsible and is responsible still for something called glanders. 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 Glanders you may not have heard of unless you are like a large animal vet. I'm not. Or you Not anymore. Like, I had have... too many heartbreaks. <laughs> Lost too many polar bears. Dang it. These guys are big. Uh, or if you have large animals. I don't mean like we had a really big cat. I mean like horses. So, I mean that's the dream, but not there yet. Glanders is a disease of horses primarily. Um, it has been found in humans, um, but it was a, a big problem for livestock. And so, you know, glanders is very well known outside of, I don't know, this room. <laughs> but anyone who, ha- who takes care of or owns li- large animals. Um, and, but typically you would only see it in a human being if they had had close contact with animals. Mm-hmm. So it was weird because the, this guy was not, I mean, he was living in a city he was not necessarily out where he would have a lot of contact with horses or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, he had been, you know, unfortunately living outside and using injection drugs. And so it just didn't fit. Like, not, none of it, it didn't really make sense. But that was the back, that's what the bacteria looked like. So, and on top of that, this guy had also been in jail until very recently. So how would you get a horse infection in jail? Hmm. Are you well, going to try to answer this? Take your horse to jail day. I I, I know it used to be very common in this time period mm-hmm. to let the prisoners ride around on a horse or take pictures. I'm pretty of the horse. sure that wasn't ever a thing. Hmm. Uh, you should listen to Ear Hustle more. They talk about bringing your horse to jail day a I lot. I think that happens. So anyway, they they weren't really sure, but they had this bacteria, and they you know already sort of guessed like maybe whatever we're looking at caused the sickness. So they proceeded with Koch's postulates, meaning like we have an organism. We think it caused this person to die. Mm-hmm. So let's take it, grow it, stick it in something else, see if it gets sick, do an autopsy on it, and see if it looks the same. Mm-hmm. It was very. This is a classic scientific approach to yeah. figuring out if this organism is the cause of a disease. So that's what they did. They took some lung material, they put it on petri dishes. Lot they had like luxurious growth, they said. They had lots of growth of luxurious, <laughs> luxurious growth. Uh like and they that reminds me of exquisite pain. <laughs> exquisite pain growth. and luxurious growth. They took some of that, they injected it into a guinea pig. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all guinea pigs. I'm sorry to this guinea pig. I'm sorry to all those who sorry, love sorry to Riley. Sorry to Riley. And your guinea pig. Uh, and then they, um, <laughs> in the original paper, because you can read, by the way, if you're interested, the entire paper is available online. It's 30-some pages. Whoa. Yeah, of his, of Whoa. Whitmore's Franklin, account. Franklin, clear my schedule. I found it a very enjoyable read myself, but that's just. You're saying I'm going to re- want to read it twice? <laughs> Franklin, clear tomorrow's <laughs> schedule, too. I'm reading a boring thing twice. <laughs> in the, <laughs> who's Franklin? My assistant. You don't know Franklin? You don't have an assistant. He's the guy at the tiny desk outside the studio. You don't have... You don't wonder what he did? (laughs) He he monitors my schedule. There's nobody there. That's so messed up right now (laughs) that you don't even... It's so messed up that you don't even see him as a person who sits outside my Mm -hmm. office. And haven't you ever wondered when you come to talk to me why he's sitting out there? And you always say, Justin, are you wearing a pretend mustache and pretending to be your own assistant? And And Franklin always says... Oh, like, no. I didn't know you named yourself Franklin then. 
No, that's my assistant. You're very confused. When are you Carl Stinkums? Carl Stinkums is... (laughs) (sighs) Okay. The person who puts together scavenger hunts for the girls in the style of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. Panty Pants. That's Philip Panty Pants. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. They came up with that name. Philip Panty Pants is the boss of the secret agents that go on the scavenger hunts. Right. The villain that is always trying to thwart them on the scavenger hunts is Carl Stinkums. They hate Carl Stinkums. Boy, they hate Carl Stinkums. He actually got edited out of our most recent scavenger hunt. Because they upset, they got so upset over him. They got, they hate Carl Stinkums. He's not even that threatening. He usually turns out to be a good guy in the end. Almost always. It's uh, really weird. They just don't like the the drama, you know? So no. it's just Philip They don't like all that conflict. Sometimes they don't so, even like Philip Pantypants, honestly. Despite his cool hat. Do they just not like you? Maybe they just don't like me. I don't know. Uh, they like you. They like you. They just like me better. But they like you. So they, okay. Do your podcast. They, in the original paper, published in 1913, Whitmore writes, after, this is after they have given this guinea pig some of this back, luxurious growth of bacteria. Um, the, <laughs> the guinea pig got sick and died. And then they did an autopsy to try to figure out if it was the same thing. So, and he writes, to our disappointment, the guinea pig died within 36 hours without any obvious inflammation of the testicles. That's rough. I think taken as just a standalone sentence, it's, it makes him look like a weird guy. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, why was he disappointed, you may wonder? Why was he so disappointed that this guinea pig's testicles were not inflamed? <laughs> well, apparently when you did this with glanders, mm-hmm. uh, testicular inflammation of the guinea pig was sort of a hallmark response. Ah, okay. So it wasn't just his weird kink. So if he had done that, he would have said, yeah, this probably, even though the bacteria didn't look exactly like glanders, it looks similar enough. And this disease process looked like glanders. So then we gotcha. Um, but they didn't, this didn't confirm the diagnosis. So they felt like they were dealing with some, with something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so they proceeded to like, what, what else can you do? You got one case. It looks this way. You gotta find more. Gotta. And this was the this was the quest they set out on. And I'm gonna tell you all about what they found and what we know now. But first, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, 
you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 and use code sawbones 50 to get 50 percent off that's code sawbones 50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 to get 50% off. Hi, it's me, Dave Hill, from before, here to tell you about my brand new show on Maximum Fun, the Dave Hill Good Time Hour, which combines my old Maximum Fun show, Dave Hill's podcasting incident, with my old radio show, The Goddamn Dave Hill Show, into one new futuristic program from the future. If you like delightful conversation with incredible guests, technical difficulties, and actual phone calls from real-life listeners, you've just hit a street called easy. I'm also joined by my incredible co-host, the boy criminal Chris Gersbeck. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Dave. It's really great. That's to- enough, Chris. And New Jersey chicken rancher, Des. Say hi, Des. Hey, Dave. The Dave Hill Good Time Hour. Brand new episodes every Friday on Maximum Fun. Plus, the show's not even an hour. It's 90 minutes. Take that, stupid rules. We nailed it. So, Sydney, what did they find? So, they did a lot more um, autopsies. First of all, they found out that whatever this is, it's bad. Because <laughs> unlike all those good diseases that kill you. Well, because they weren't they weren't really getting to interview a lot of like living humans and ask them about it or like recovered patients and find out what happened. They were just doing autopsies. So like that's one clue. This is bad because everybody who has it is dead. So that's a bad thing. So they uh, they started gathering more um, postmortem cases, and like word got around the hospital, like, hey, if you have any of these sorts of cases, like let let these <laughs> let the the weird guys know. Let the weird guy that fills <laughs> guinea pig balls, please, um, you know, you know, 
You know that guy. You know Basically, that guy. they did a lot of autopsies, and they figured out that um, they could find the bacteria in lots of different places. Um, definitely the lungs, as they had initially noted on the first autopsy, um, but also in the kidneys, the urine, in the skin, in the spleen, uh, anywhere inside a guinea pig abdomen, because they continued to do these. I mean, it was it's a very rigorous scientific method. You do the autopsy, you localize the bacteria, you give the bacteria, you grow it, you give it to something else and see what happens. I know it's mean. I know. I know a lot of people are like, why do you keep doing? I know it's mean. It was how they figured things out. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. And in many ways, it did still seem somewhat similar to glanders because glanders can have kind of a diverse clinical presentation. It doesn't always look the same, right? I think we've learned that in the last year and a half with COVID, that Mm, mm -hmm. COVID can look different in different people. Absolutely. We're used to the idea that like, well, that virus causes these symptoms. That Mm -hmm. bacteria causes these symptoms. Well, not always. Some of them can look different in different people. And glanders are sort of like that. And this bacteria seems sort of like that. Um, But this bacteria was modal, motile, like it could move. And that was different. Um, And the course just generally didn't fit. It just wasn't, yeah, there are parts parts of it that are similar to Landers, but it's definitely something new. Um, The only time they did get the opportunity to sort of look at a living case, Mm -hmm. like the disease progression in a living human before they died of the disease, Mm -hmm. but it was retrospective. There was another doctor uh, named Captain Knapp who was taking care of a guy, and he wrote, he took pretty meticulous records as he tried to, like, you know, take care of the guy um and he did not get better um and then after he died he reached out to whitmore and was like hey uh i did an autopsy on this guy and the things i found seem really similar to the things that you are finding and also i have all these meticulous case notes from his whole disease course would you be interested and also my name is captain knapp (laughs) which i know sounds like a preschool book character but i assure you i'm a real adult that should be taken seriously it's not nap what? It's not NAP. Why, well, honey? It's an audio medium. If a character is not named Captain Nap, <laughs> you have to you have to uh, uh, clarify. Captain Knapp. Well, no, certainly that's not right either. Well, it's probably pronounced Nap. Just crank out a quick spell of K N A P P. Knapp. Nap. 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 Knapp. It's not that either. <laughs> His name is Captain Nap. Captain Knapp is pretty. Catchy, and what makes though. him sore is knowing the boys and girls are going to bed on time. <laughs> The name's Captain Nap. That's where he gets his superpowers from the fact that he gets eight hours of sleep every night. These notes, these meticulous notes, really helped because he had a picture of what it looks like before a person dies of it. And so he could talk about, like, the progression from initially the fevers. You get some, like, uh, stomach symptoms, like maybe diarrhea, some general flu-like symptoms, you know, aches, pains, that kind of thing, chills. Mm -hmm. Um, And then progression to the pulmonary infection. And the skin lesions, um, which they they had initially assumed were just because all of these patients they were seeing were also using injection morphine. Mm -hmm. And so they thought that the skin lesions were not part of it. But, not, but it seemed like there was a component that was that. Um, as far as how they got it, even as they figured out, like, we got a new bacteria. It causes this disease that mm-hmm. we can see present these different ways. Um, as far as how they got it, he still wasn't sure. And then he found someone in the office had a whole crate of Better Homes and Gardens <laughs> aromatherapy. In 1911. Like sarsaparilla. It's sarsaparilla scented. He he thought at first. Victrola is the scent of Victrolas and sarsaparilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
I mean, back then, probably like misogyny and racism. And yeah, I'm so glad we got those stamped out. <laughs> oh, that was a bummer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it seemed to affect those who were addicted to morphine more. And there was an initial like, is this because it's, you know, communicable through a needle? Is that why? Like it's a needle stick thing. Um or is it something to do with the fact that a lot of these patients also were unsheltered, were malnourished, you know, were generally um, like more vulnerable to infection? Um, was it an immunity issue? Is it a, it, was it a jail issue? A lot of them had been in jail. But, you know, it's, it's sort of like confounders, right? Correlation does not equal causation. Right. A lot of these things, unfortunately, then and now tend to run together. Um, and also the guinea pigs seem to be able to get it from eating and drinking, like it was communicable through the oral route. So is that something that obviously there was a lot of, there were still a lot of questions. Now this didn't stop him from naming it. So we got a new bacteria. It's not Bacillus mallei, like we initially thought. So instead we're going to call it Bacillus pseudomallei. You get, you get it, you get it. Um, Later it was just, you know, as, and this is true, I think in all, like taxonomy, as you learn more about different organisms, mm-hmm. you restructure which sort of which groups they belong in. So it started as a bacillus, but it would later have its name changed to Burkholderia because it was close, more closely related to other types of bacteria. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and and that because we understood where it fit. Burkholderia, if you're curious, is named for a plant pathologist, Walter Burkholder, who found that genus of bacteria. Hmm. So Burkholderia for him and then Pseudomallei because it's sort of like Glander's Mallei, but but it's not that. Um, even with that, though, it was also often called Whitmore's disease or Bacille de Whitmore. Bacille de Whitmore. Yeah. That's a much more dramatic name. It's that. interesting that he didn't name it for himself. A yeah. lot of people did back then. I always wonder how you would feel about that, right? Like, for your name to become synonymous with a disease. I'm not sure I'd love that legacy. Although I get why people would like it. Just like, I'm not sure I'd be into it. Really? It's like, like a negative connotation, right? There's not a lot I of diseases know. that make make you, give you an eight-foot vertical leap. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of diseases that, like, m- m- give give you two and a half times the strength of a of a normal well, human. I Most guess, diseases I guess are so, pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, typically a disease is a bad thing to get, but like... Why aren't there good diseases? I think <laughs> about this a lot. That's That could probably be a whole other episode. I, I could maybe make a case for things. But anyway, um, <laughs> the... I don't know. I Because I, you you get it named after you because, like, you discovered it or you were the first one to isolate it or you were the first one to describe it what logically. it did. Or, I get it logically, but that also... Or treat re- it. That's not a, that also requires... Like a deep dive into history, right? Mm-hmm. To like figure that out. By and large, it's just going to be like, well, not really, because you don't assume that it's named for like the person who invented it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I invented this bacteria. I made it. Yeah, but the, but you're it's also not, it's, it's, it, we wouldn't name it for an evil genius. Yeah, but also like anytime anybody talks about your thing, it's going to be in the context of like, hey, I'm beating this. I beat McElroy's. I'm fighting McElroy's really hard. 
I lost my mom to McElroy's. Like, none of it's good. It's all bad. All of that sounds bad. I have to stay home. I have b- really bad McElroy's I, right I, now. I'll be honest. I've been on the toilet all day if <laughs> these, one, with these McElroy's. If one of us was going to be able to explain the compulsion to name something after themselves, I would think, like, the white guy in the room would be able to explain that to me. Because that's what it all is. It's usually, like, a white guy who's like, I, I, know, I know 30 other people have already found this, but I'm going to publish it and call it me. Well, <laughs> I guess you really put me in my place. <laughs> I, I I hope you get I'm a case. Joking. Of Mac- I, hope, I don't no, know. I hope you get a case of McElroy. I don't know why Whitmore didn't want to name it after himself, or or why other people do. I mean, obviously, Burkholderia, Walter Burkholder, the plant pathologist, yeah, was all about it. So I don't I don't know anything about Walter Burkholder other than this. So he, I don't know what his proclivities were. Um, eventually, uh, Stanton and Fletcher published some papers about the disease to help you know because that's it's usually like a building it's like a building block thing right through over time we learn more about it and they were the ones who first uh coined the term melioidosis which was uh in reference to the greek for a condition similar to a distemper of asses mm-hmm. <laughs> again, <laughs> again sorry, sorry say again calling back to glanders a condition similar to a distemper of asses as in, like, donkeys. I gotcha. You know, you get it. I get it, because you said the word, and you wouldn't say that normally. I so. like it. I just love, I love the scientific system of naming everything about, like, well, it's sort of like this. It's an entire naming system that, like, there's a seed somewhere where, like, there was the first thing that we named something, and then everything else is just named. Spun off. It's like it's a like spin a, off. Yes. It's how much it's like or not like that original yeah. thing that we named that one time. Yeah. That's probably Greek, as far as I can tell. Uh, the at the presentation, as we would eventually come to understand it, like I said, it can vary. You can have skin presentations of the disease. They're different, um, and this is true now. There are different, like, ways you can get it. You can get, like, a skin thing where it's an abscess with swelling and pain and fever. You can get a blood infection. That's obviously worse, where you get fever, joint pain, r- respiratory problems, abdominal pain. You can get mm-hmm. a lung infection, like we talked about. You can get, a, a like, a CNS, central nervous system infection, like the brain or meninges kind of thing. So there are lots of different ways, depending on exactly how you're exposed to it and how much of it gets into your body and where it goes, um, that it would present. The... Uh, any kind of underlying disease does put you at risk. So mm. it is in a sense like what we would think of as like an opportunistic kind of pathogen, meaning if it gets an opportunity. Mm. Have you heard that term? Mm-hmm. So if there's something that, uh, you know, can suppress your immune system or, or makes you more likely to get a disease, its onset is usually two to four weeks from contact. Um, most commonly, it's inhaled. Um or you, like you come into contact with contaminated soil or water droplets and mm. can inhale little bits of it. Uh, it generally is not passed from person to person. There was one rare case where somebody got got it from like a tropical freshwater fish. Hmm. Um, yeah, how on earth did they prove that? And, and like I said, the one thing that um, Whitmore even knew back when they first uh, figured all this out was that it seemed pretty bad since all of the patients that he knew had it he met on autopsy. Mm. Um, And uh, he also, like I said, theorized this relationship to injecting morphia, morphine. Um, But again, this is probably more related to underlying disease, opportunistic infections, uh, unclean food or water sources, that kind of thing. 
Um, and that is true to this day that like when we see cases of melioidosis now underlying disease, it is more of an opportunistic thing, which is part of why it's more rare, mm -hmm. why you don't just see outbreaks affecting everybody all at once, right? Mm -hmm. Because, well, yes, you could get it if you're healthy. It's more likely that if you have some other health condition. Got it. That yeah, you that would, you know. Yeah. Um, now, instead of what he witnessed, now we see things like diabetes can put you at higher risk for contracting meliodosis, liver, kidney, or lung disease, um, any kind of other immunosuppression, um, in addition to like malnutrition and stuff like that. Uh, we didn't, of course, have great meds for this when we first figured it all out. We didn't have antibiotics yet, yeah. right? Like yeah. this was 1911 up to like 1913 as we were defining all this stuff. So we didn't have any antibiotics to treat it. It must have been a very frustrating time, by the way, to write like these 30-page papers defining a disease process and then at the end go... So good luck with that one. Yes, uh, yeah. I got, I, I don't know what to tell you to do, but good luck with it. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Sydney, um, you're reading this in, in 100 years. Uh, you spent all day reading this 30-page paper. I hope you can figure it out. <laughs> I hope somebody else figured it Thanks out. Thanks for reading. I hope you appreciate all the great information you hear, Sid. Anyway. Thanks for reading my boring work. Prior to 1989, which I, I was going to say, that's not that long ago. I don't know. Is it? It feels. I lost all. Perspective. Uh, the standard treatment was a three three drug combination of um, chloramphenicol, tr chloramphenicol, tro cotrimoxazole, and doxycycline. Um, but even with that regimen, this is prior to 1989. This is what we would use. So, like in the modern era, it was associated with a mortality rate of 80. percent Oh my God. Yes. Jeez. Now, at that time is when we get ceftazidime introduced, which is a different antibiotic, which worked a lot better. Okay. Um, so now that. we have better medications to treat this, and the mortality rate is 40% in resource-limited settings and, like, 10% in resource-rich settings, which mainly has to do with, like, the degree of not just access to the right drugs, but, like, what, what sort of supportive care you can mm. provide the yeah. patient while they're recovering from the disease um, and how much more difficult that that is in certain parts of the world than right. others. So uh, it's still a big, bad deal. I mean, those numbers are still incredibly high, but we do have things that can treat it now, thank goodness, uh, much more effectively than we did prior to 1989. It has been investigated as a bioterrorism weapon in the past. Gross. Yeah. Uh, Glanders apparently was used by the Germans in World War One. The Germans uh, in World War One on Allied cows. Um, I don't know that the cows knew that they were part of the Allied forces. Yeah, you could tell they had that air about them. <laughs> but but they became part of the Allied forces, and then the, the they were infected with glanders. Maybe they're not Allied cows. Maybe they're cows that are allied with each other. Maybe they, they're just like, no, no, no. We just look out for one another as cows. We're not participating in your geopolitical squabbles. Listen, I don't think there are any animals that are. You can fool yourself, but like... They're over us. Our species, the human race, they're huh. done with us. <laughs> We're just messing everything up. The cows are not your allies. They're each other's allies. They're yeah. planet Earth's allies. Yeah. And we need to get on board. <laughs> or um, the trees are going to wipe us out. Have you seen that movie? The, the Happening? The Happening. The trees are going to wipe us out if you're not careful. There was also an outbreak, le outbreak linked to a panda in the Paris Zoo in the 70s that was highly publicized. That, and this is usually how you kind of see this, like these sort of like sporadic outbreaks. Um, 
there are, like I said, specific parts of the world where it is still endemic, but it's not all over the world. We've had four cases in the U.S. linked to these sprays. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we won't have any more now that obviously. In the grand scheme, that's still very limited, like in terms of the spread. Of, you know, Oh, yeah. No, I'm when not. You think about how many of these these are out there. It's this is one of those things where um, it is really a neglected. It's not on the list of neglected tropical diseases. I do not believe. Like mm-hmm. I, I was looking to see because it, it as I was reading more about it, it's not something that I have studied a lot because I've certainly never you know treated anyone for it. Um, but as I was reading more about it, I do not believe it is actually listed as one of those. But it should be because it is a disease that impacts parts of the world that often do not get enough attention as to what their specific healthcare problems are, right? Like right. They, they need it, it deserves more time and money and research efforts and all those things. But when you have these certain sorts of bugs that don't affect the US or you know, Europe and these places, like you don't you don't get as much time and attention and money, you know, turned towards them. Um and so it is rare that we would see it in the US. I don't think this is something you should be afraid of. I think that if you have these sprays, you should Get rid of them. <laughs> but um, but I, this is not like an alarmist sort of thing. It's more just what was this thing you read about in the news. Um, the uh, Like I said, the, the places where they actually had the cases were in Georgia, Texas, Kansas, Minnesota. Two of those people unfortunately died of, of the condition. Oh. Um, and, and like I said, we do have treatments now. It's still very tough to treat. You need uh, two weeks of IV antibiotics, up to eight in some cases, depending on where the infection is. And then three to six months follow-up of oral antibiotics after that. So like, like, and that's sort of similar to, um, you could liken it to tuberculosis is something that we can treat, but it's hard and it takes multiple drugs for of an extended period of time to treat it. Melioidosis is similar in that sense. Um, but again, there's been that recall. So I would check if you do have the yeah. <laughs> better homes and gardens, uh, essential oil infused room aromatherapy room spray with gemstones. Or you have a, let's say an aunt who you think definitely has that somewhere in her bathroom. Just go mm-hmm. ahead and give her a quick buzz. Everybody's got that. Aunt, and, right? uh, uh, it did, I guess I didn't answer that question. How did it get in the room spray? How? Well, it is often found in contaminated, like it can just be in dirt and water. It's on the rocks. It's so the rocks. these were made, these, these sprays were made in parts of the world. The, the ingredients, I don't know where they were all put together. Everything's, a, I don't know how all that works. I'm not in that line. But the parts of it, at least, came from parts of the world where it can just live naturally in the soil or water. So um. something, whether it was the rocks in the bottom or something in the um, the lavender or chamomile or one of the other essential oils, whatever it was synthesized from, somewhere in there, it was contaminated with the bacteria. This is why I keep saying you can't trust this natural stuff, Sydney. Rocks, oils, all this stuff from nature? No, thank you. Give me chemicals made in a factory. <laughs> You know, pound it. Oh, thank you. Well, thank I you don't. For pounding it. I don't know. I didn't pound it. Um, no, but it does. It does. I mean, we talk about this a lot on the show. The idea that something that is quote unquote natural is perceived as safe. Yeah. And that is not to say that we should all be afraid of room sprays because this is a very rare random occurrence that but happened. If you want Sydney to be able to relax in your room, maybe you should be afraid of room sprays. They just, every single, 
any kind of scent, though. Perfume, cologne, candles, all of them. It's very sad. Air fresheners. I can't do any of it. I live in a scentless. Sometimes I'll have a small candle in my office for just a little bit of scent. Charlie asked me what my favorite scent was, and I said clean. Not. <laughs> not even clean, because like clean linens is like a scent. You were just like anti-scent. Anyway, thank you, Sydney, for that uh, uh, fascinating history. And thank you to you for listening. We very much appreciate it. Uh, you're the best. And, like, just thanks. Um, if you want to, we wrote a book. It's called The Sawbones Book. There's a paperback version with some new information about uh, COVID. It's not, like, new information about COVID. Like, we haven't unearthed anything. <laughs> but, but it's got new chapters in this book. Um, so, so go check that out at anywhere fine books are sold. Justin, I should note, if somebody does have this, I said get rid of it. You actually shouldn't throw it away or dispose of it in the trash. What should you do? If you do have this product, obviously don't use it. Yeah. Don't open it. Yeah. Double bag it in Ziploc bags uh-huh. and then put it in a cardboard box. This is really what they recommend. Uh-huh. And then return it to a Walmart store. Okay. Um, and then wash all of your sheets or linens that may have been exposed to it, clothes or anything like that. Wipe anything down that it may have gotten on with like disinfectant. And then obviously seek medical care if you're yeah, sick. Right. But but I should I should make that note that you shouldn't just throw it in the trash. There's a very specific way of return return it to Walmart so yeah. they can man. And make sure you tell them this is the bad poison room spray. Make sure you don't open this. Please. Return it to Walmart so they can dispose of it properly is yeah. not a sentence I ever thought I would say. But right. That is. <laughs> Return to the hazmat specialists at Walmart. At your local Walmart store. Um, thank you uh, again for listening. Um, thanks to taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you. We'll be back with you again next week. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.